Welcome to Good Morning Oleg, a casual podcast in which Axie community members armchair philosophize about the Axie ecosystem and Web3 innovation. We're absolutely not experts and this is not financial advice. Creator, good to see you. It's been a while. How's it going? Oh, you know, living the dream back from Barcelona, still recovering. It was absolutely crazy. Uh, how about yourself? It's been a minute since we've had this chat. Yes, it has. Um, lots of things have happened. Um, the ETH merge happened. That was really exciting. I was on vacation camping, basically. Um, looking for a job in crypto right now, so that's exciting. Doing some trading, getting wrecked. Uh, don't use leverage, kids. That's what I learned. And um, yeah, I mean, so today, it has been a while. It's. I thought we could just catch up, um, check in, see what's on your mind, what's on my mind, and just uh, see where the conversation takes us. If um, anybody wants to join us at the end of the podcast from the audience, um, you're more than welcome to give us a shout out. We'll pull you up here. But um, yeah, I am very curious about AxiCon. We haven't like really caught up and talked about that. Give me like, give me the this, the bedtime story of creator went to AxiCon and here's what happened. Yo, so I went to AxiCon. Um, we ran our booth, which was very successful. We were stationed right next to the land demo, which was absolutely awesome. So our foot traffic was consistent. Um, yeah, the I didn't unfortunately get to attend many of the, oh, what are they called now? Um, the panels and the speakers, fortunately, because I was manning the booth. But it was pretty crazy. It was nuts. Um, the esports side of it was just packed. Everybody was just hyped up and crazy. Um, the after parties were absolutely something else. I don't think that I was getting more than one to three hours sleep per day for the pretty much the whole week. It was just absolutely nuts. Um, networking, everybody was friendly, everybody was super happy. Um, just meeting people for the first time, <clears throat> it was like family right away. There was no awkward moments, nothing like that. Um, a huge, ex huge exchange of information. The builders program guys were there as well, which is really cool getting to meet them in person and hearing their stories and seeing how far they've come along. The merch was absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, that was, it was also really nice. Barcelona was good. It was absolutely beautiful city. So easy just to walk around. Uh, I honestly couldn't have seen it in a better place, except for the cost wise to travel, but for the atmosphere and it was just, it was just perfect. That's was amazing. Just, yeah. Yeah. And you went representing BYC, you were manning that booth how was that like did you have specific goals um around the booth and networking and all that or was it just about being there um yeah it was definitely about networking and having a focus point to meet community members <clears throat> as well as chatting with um the press and other people it was um it was good the definitely the goal was to be as intimate as possible and that was achieved. Um, it was also kind of cool just to get our, our merch out there as well. So people were repping us all throughout um, as, when they get home as well. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, 
it was the main goal was achieved. It was definitely just to get in with the community, and it succeeded. How do you do? You feel like anything changed for you after AxiCon in terms of the outlook of not just the BYAC, but also Axie? Like, how are you thinking about Axie going into the end of the year here and into next year? I know I we just started all- season one of Origin, right? Um, seems like it's going okay so far. Yeah, I would say that it's really strong. Um, my, <clears throat> yeah, I think myself and everybody feels very confident that the future is looking extremely bright. Um, the amount of information, ideas that were put out at AxiCon <clears throat> really helped paint the picture or, you know, lay down the, the bricks for us to walk the path. Um, that they have envisioned, as well as, you know, being upfront honest about deliveries. And yeah, I think that um, <laughs> it got me riled up for sure. I want to uh, collaborate more with people, which was kind of interesting. Um, seeing esports come up is like lit a fire underneath me. Hearing about governance and getting into there, the lore, the lore is just absolutely nuts. Um, being told that the Big Yak Axie Club is potentially going to be a part of canon which is absolutely sick it's awesome yeah yeah i'm wondering how that's going to roll out but um yeah so that's uh that's i'm looking forward to there also got to chat with the team that is uh writing the lore so we'll be end up meeting up soon and discussing different world building ideas so it's gonna be it's, it's pretty neat man i i feel more part of the family more um plugged in I guess, to what's going on on the micro and macro scale of Axie. That's great. I mean, as you should be after building up an entire community from the ground, it's great that you're able to like put faces to names and connect with people more. And especially because BYC is such a social organism, um, if like if any community should be represented there at AxieCon, it should be BYC. So really happy that you're able to make it out there. Yeah, likewise, and I I totally agree. We are <laughs> we have just become this funky um, <clears throat> social institution now within the Axie society. So it's um yeah, I was very very lucky to be there, and you know, um had no issues, and everybody was yeah just super happy to have us there as well. Awesome. So what are you um what's on your radar? Like, what kinds of things are you thinking about? whether in Axie and crypto, side project, your favorite recipe, whatever. <laughs> Yo, that's, that's, that's a yeah, pretty blank slate to like tack in a whole bunch of things. Uh, right now, uh, we're just going to be focusing primarily on uh, creating eSports. Um, we've got a bunch of different little projects that I really want to dive into, but I'm starting to learn now that uh, we need to become more hyper-focused so we can provide quality. Um, and get these deliverables out in a timely fashion. So esports is pretty big. Uh, looking to create a BYAC esports team, as well as building up a tournament hosting organization, which is going to be kind of nuts as well. Um, yeah, just kind of get out there, host host stuff, party like not party, wow, uh, plan, organize um, for events, which celebrate is, after the yeah. tournaments. 
Exactly, exactly. And yeah, which is like super interesting too because event event planning is very tax like taxing or time consuming, lots of different things, lots of different variables to think about. Um there's so many things, so so much risk management needs to go into it. So I think that it is a fantastic um avenue to explore just to keep the brain kind of sharp as well as learning a whole bunch of new skills and ideas. Um <clears throat> Definitely looking forward uh, to trying. I was actually talking to Guru, um, talk, building a building a pitch deck to start looking for sponsorships and partnerships and stuff like that. So gaining the experience now, um, while still small. So when things start to escalate and grow, you know, we just got that uh, foundation. So it's uh, pretty neat. Um, yeah, just tons of things, man. Want to build a museum? So I've actually started up a wiki page. Uh, on fandom now for Axie Infinity. Um, I was just talking to an OG this morning, Cat. Um, yeah, just bringing up all the stuff that happened when Axie was first, yeah, first came together, you know, documenting unique things like the very first projects that collaborated with Axie. I guess there was like a racing game, um, a whole bunch of different little things, which would be kind of cool to, um, summarize within uh, the community and you know give some some history which we need so much in our nation um i'm also got um into a, a board game i uh ended up meeting a community member who's a board game designer and yeah starting a axie infinity board game which is almost similar to like D, &D style which is going to be absolutely nuts um but as much as I want to be able to dive in to all these different projects, definitely just try and take one at a time. And our major one right now is esports, especially with the grant that's coming out. Ah, I see. Yeah, I was really surprised to see. I don't know the exact like US dollar amount, but the announcement that the um, team made the other day about uh, the latest grant. I'm. I'm uh, dropping the ball here. I need remembering what the specifics of that were, but I, it just got me thinking that like you always hear projects live or die in the bear market. And if you can get through the crypto bear market, like you're going to be the fastest off the bottom and nobody's going to be ready for the growth potentially when the next bull run comes or whatever. And like, so I've been paying a lot of, a lot of attention to the macro economy and the doom and gloom or the big questions are things turning around soon. Is it going to take a while? Uh, how much can be priced in, et cetera? And there's just so much, this enormous amount of uncertainty. But I'm trying to pay attention to who's sort of working through this environment and still able to keep their head above water. And once again, like like uh, Jiho says it all the time, like we've been through bear markets before. And um, like, that's where we were born and that's what we know. It's just, it's great to see that they still have the firepower to do that kind of thing. And especially esports, I guess you could look at it in maybe a couple of different ways. Like on the one hand, people who are really, really into the game are going to gravitate towards the more competitive part of the game. And so you can lose a lot of activity in, you know, the downturn in the bear market and still preserve your sort of core um, competitors who, by the way, like are being rewarded for that commitment and 
dedication and stuff. Um, but I think more generally, like it's just great to see that that can still have life in it enough to warrant having events and having grants and um, that there's enough activity. I mean, even for AxiCon to not be a flop because everybody, you know, because coins went to zero or whatever and people lost interest. I think that speaks volumes. Um, I'm just reflecting here on kind of the state of things, but it's cool that you're able to plug into esports as an opportunity. Um, I just didn't realize that there was that much momentum in esports and Axie. Yeah, I think that um, we really noticed the launch pad at AxiCon, the LAN event and the finals and casting on the stage. It really set the tone that things are getting serious. Um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't think it was going to be as I guess, um, what is it? I guess a strong North Star as it is now, but it, there's definitely a lot of energy, momentum heading into there, a lot of good enthusiasm around the future of esports, which is great. Um, <clears throat> yeah, just to give you the dollar value, I think at the time of posting, we said it was roughly around 2 million USD. So it's, uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's a big grant. Um, to be throwing out there, and it's a massive statement saying, "Hey, we're ready to go. Um, we want to see this this grow and become more mainstream, um, which is kind of neat all the way through." So let me get your take about something with that because um, I remember when Origin was first being tested, and you had people on Twitter, like um, you know, longtime Axie competitors, basically talking about how compared to V2, or the game before Battles V2, the game before Origin. Um, Origin was a step towards a more mainstream audience with less sort of high-level nuanced um, uh, competitive skill, basically. You could maybe They were basically saying the skill ceiling came down. And obviously at the time, and still, they, uh, the team has been iterating on the specifics of the like mechanics of the game and how battles actually work. Do you like? Do you think that that's still a factor? Do you think that there is some kind of hurdle here for Axie to overcome in order to have like a truly healthy competitive environment that's not um, just sort of Axie loyalists who have been around for a while, but that can reach mainstream audiences and maybe pull gamers from other games? Um, does the game need to change at all? Is this, am I asking the wrong person? Because I don't know about you, I haven't played Axie in many, many months now. But I'm just curious to hear your thoughts. Um, I, uh, I don't uh, play Origins too much. Um, I'm kind of in the same boat. It's, I think that there's still, it's, it still has a lot of bugs. So it's creating quite a bit of issues. I think that the rune economy needs to be looked at and data needs to be put out so we can start to actually visualize what needs to be tweaked um that's going to be the one of the most major things i think is kind of runes the i, I wouldn't say that the skill gap has gotten lower i actually think that it has gotten a bit higher and Different though from V2 is that at least the majority of axes now can actually be viable within the arena. 
but until balancing gets a, you know needs more time it's it's still quite new it's um <laughs> it needs some time to mature just a little bit before i think that we hit mainstream level that's just kind of like my initial thoughts but again i don't play too much i just kind of try and read what's going on within the community like we're seeing quite a bit of um oh i can't i'm trying to think of the proper word but we're starting to see a lot of specific runes and teams being the top choice in the top 100 so you it's almost seen like the same types of builds um getting up there and that's kind of not the most healthy i guess at this point so it'll be very interesting to see on the off season what types of changes come in um to to level the uh the playing field right it seems like that's the constant challenge that this team is always facing with this game is how do you um smooth out the metas so that everybody doesn't gravitate to one or two specific um compositions and well you did mention that more axes are viable now overall i think that's that was like a necessary improvement i'm really glad to hear that that it looks that way to you and hopefully the marketplace is like reflecting that accurately um, i haven't checked in on the axie economy too much lately do you know anything about whether like are people still talking about slp are there any major changes sort of slated? Maybe this is something that I'm sure they must have touched on the economy to some extent at AxiCon, right? Yeah, yeah. I haven't really put my head too deep into the economy either. I've been more or less focused on the social aspect at this point in time. Um, I do know that there is still some complaints about SLP price um, through it, but it is such a minority now. It's actually quite interesting looking at Twitter and not seeing posts, like hundreds of posts about SLP price. There might be the odd four or five that pop up now, but nowhere near as much as it was over a month or two ago. So I would assume that the economy is starting to look better. Even volume is starting to go um, a lot higher now on the marketplace. Uh, marketplace the marketplace also looks just absolutely amazing uh, builders program games are also bringing in quite a bit of um, buying and exchanging due to uh, giving them additional utility which has been super nice yeah that's uh that's just kind of like my recap for that well i appreciate it because i've been very out of the loop <laughs> with uh, axie i check the prices of land every now and then to make sure that i'm not you know, forgetting to do my own due diligence about my investments and stuff like that. But um, I'm I'm kind of waiting for the mainstream App Store release, which I assume is like going to continue to perpetually be further and farther away than uh, people optimistically want to see. But um, I'm sure it'll come eventually. I did see the drama the other day about um, who was it? One of the team members posted on Twitter about Apple wanting to take like a 30% cut of all revenue from like blockchain games. So I, I saw that and I was like, oh, maybe there's a wrench getting thrown in the gears here. Hopefully they can work that out. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I saw that as well. And unfortunately, I don't know if that's going to be on their end. I think that's just strictly up to Apple. So we'll have to see. Apple, as 
we both know is because they have such a closed ecosystem, they have, I don't know, it's almost like authoritarian, I guess you would say. I think that we'll definitely be seeing it um, pop up on the Android Google Store, considering that um, they've already got a deal with them as well as uh, bringing in the validator. So that will be on soon. But Apple, I think, is definitely going to be a time before we start to see that hit the App Store. Well, it's, yeah, it's kind of funky. Like, even reselling, selling NFTs, everything has to be taxed 30%, um, which is absolutely nuts. But unfortunately, you know, again, being in a closed, closed economy like Apple, um, or sorry, a closed ecosystem, they have the ability to charge literally whatever they want um and as they see fit right so i guess we'll see what happens with that even just um shipping to android though would be absolutely massive so um i'll be keeping an eye out for that do you yeah. do we have any sense of a timeline there i'm sure they haven't given a specific date but i know that they have phases outlined in their roadmap and we must be getting close yeah i don't think that they've uh, released a date for when it's going to hit the app store but yeah i would definitely say it's probably in the next couple of months um most likely by end of year we'll see it hit the hit the play store well you heard it here first end of year optimistically <laughs> yeah yeah if everything goes well i think that um they already have the android version up pretty well so it'll just be interesting to see whatever is going on with uh, google's side but I guess because Google also has to start looking at um, policies, then yeah, it'll, it'll be very interesting. Mm. Um, so what do you think of the Ethereum merge? I don't actually know if people in uh, the Axie world are very plugged into this, but I've been in like ETH staking communities and all over crypto Twitter and was like counting down. Um, it was like just after AxiCon, so you were probably sleeping through a lot of it. Um, any thoughts there? Yeah, so I actually, I watched the countdown for the merge. I was there when it happened. Um, I thought it went, I was so happy it went off without a hitch because a lot of people were very skeptical that it was going to go as well as it did, even though that they had so many uh, test phases that all worked out splendidly. So. Um, I think that it's awesome that we finally reached that point. It's great for the environment. Um, I'm still trying to understand, I guess, around the security of um, switching to proof of stake. But I also like that we <laughs> the amount of ETH that it is now burning and also distributing the cut. Starting to see it deflationary, which is really nice. Um, yeah, we won't be, I don't think that we'll be feeling the effects of that in the short term, but long term, it's going to be really good. And yeah, like, I think that it's, um, it's great, to be honest. Yeah, there's so many aspects of this that I could go on and on about. I, like you said, the um, basically monetary policy. And by the way, just these analogies between crypto networks and nation states like i know you mentioned um the network state which is a, a book and the author has gone on to podcasts to discuss this whole concept like the more that i think about things in those terms where the network is like an economy and you have governance dictating monetary policy 
um, the more it helps me to get my head around things. But yeah, just the way that institutions now can look at Ether, the asset, as something that actually like produces yield isn't just a Ponzi token where investors are throwing money into it and you're just hoping for the number to go up. You can actually calculate like a revenue in the same way that you could calculate it for a company. Um, I'm very excited to see what that's going to do for growing adoption. And then like the energy, like ESG impact here is ridiculous. Like the stat that I can't get out of my head is um, the Ethereum merge, like going from proof of work to proof of stake, basically immediately shut off 0.2% of energy consumption globally which is the equivalent of like 15 nuclear power plants. Isn't that like mind blowing that this, you know, a few years ago, small community and crypto is still fairly niche, right? That this network, this tech upgrade, this software upgrade was able to, you know, do the equivalent of flipping the switch off in 15 nuclear power plants. Like that just blows my mind. Yeah, that's insane. I didn't realize it was at that um, at that level of power. That is so cool, especially too, because like we're still in an energy crisis as well, right? Like everybody is still voting, like by oh, geez, I can't even think of the word. But everybody's still going for as much power as possible. So being able to free that up is so so important. But yeah, it's, it is. It's crazy to think because you, you're totally right. It's niche. It's a very intimate group in crypto um a lot of people who are with multiple like multiple projects all know each other um through there you can stumble upon somebody and on one project or another that you know it's it's absolutely nuts to think that on such a small level that yeah the consumption is <laughs> as high as it was um but yeah i'm kind of wondering too like what's going to happen with all the businesses that have built up around um around mining like what's uh what's going to happen to them what's going to happen to the gpu market when they start flooding all the all the gpus like is proof of work actually going to make it um or like i know that there's still quite a bit of um power being put towards there what are your thoughts on that well yeah i mean well first of all I read a headline from a researcher who said um, all other crypto networks where you can do GPU mining, all of those combined can only absorb 16% of ETH mining at the at most. So the vast majority of those miners basically have nowhere to go. Like they can keep mining ETH, they can switch to something else, but it'll become unprofitable pretty quickly. So I would definitely expect to see those GPUs like flood the market. Um, it's unclear how much of that capital is going to get dumped versus, for example, staked in Ether um, staking. But yeah, I mean, the one thing you can say to anybody who's been mining is that this has been planned for a very, very long time as many people you know, what would have reminded you that the ETH merge was like delayed over and over again. Um, so hopefully people planned ahead and were able to sort of deal with that. And 
if they got started a few years ago, I'm sure they're sitting pretty right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. You, you, I think you asked another question I'm forgetting. No, no, it's all right. Yeah, well, I was just wondering about like the businesses, but it kind of makes sense. You're you're totally right. Um, yeah, they're they've probably already had the contingency, and we were given quite a few months advance notice that the merge was happening um, this year, which was great. So yeah, I definitely can see a lot of contingencies being built. Um, one thing though, I am kind of concerned about, and I was actually reading about this, was exchanges. Um, and staking pools and being able to, I guess, um, have quite a bit of, oh, what is it now? What is it called? Um, well, there's centralization of, vectors. Yeah, exactly. Oh, do you think that, I don't know, like, are we going to see the central exchanges actually controlling the ETH, or are we going to start seeing people creating their own nodes now that it's uh, kind of simplified a bit? A bit. What's your uh, What's your thoughts? I um, my first thought is I should disclaim that I have a lot of interest in Rocket Pool, like financially, and just I'm active in that space, and I I deeply believe in what Rocket Pool is doing as a decentralized staking pool. Um, I think that your concerns and the concerns anybody has about this is like they're extremely warranted. And if you look at Lido in particular, um, Lido isn't that old. Like they're less than two years old, as far as I know. And if you look at the chart over the past one to two years since the Beacon Chain launched, which was like the proof of stake Ethereum network that was eventually merged into the total Ethereum network. Um, you, can, you can look at pie charts and you can look at graphs showing like out of centralized exchanges like Kraken and Coinbase and um, DeFi products like Lido as a staking pool, and there are others, you can see who had what percentage of the total pie of staked Ether um, you know, over time. And Lido is just, if you look at the chart, they just started this whale that came out of nowhere and just swallowed like so much Ethereum. And it's not surprising that like Kraken and other exchanges also got big chunks of the pie. But Lido in particular, there's this community, um, like outspoken narrative push against letting Lido grow to be any bigger. So the total amount of ether staked is really low right now. It's I can't remember exactly how much, like somewhere in the neighborhood of two to five percent. Um, it's plausible that eventually that number gets as high as even like fifty percent. So you could say, okay, out of all the ether staked, um, we only have um, a few percent, like maybe five percent or less of all the ether that's going to get staked. So Lido can keep staking what they have. And eventually, other um, DeFi products can catch up. Centralized exchanges can can grow a little bit too. And there are some key numbers that people like Vitalik and Superfiz and the ETH staking community have put out, where it starts to be if you cross certain levels, um, you start to have problems. And so, Lido, for example, if they were to gain more than thirty three percent of all of the 
Ethereum staked, then that could represent a lot of risk. And that's not just risk in the sense that like somebody could take your money and rug you. They actually have different operators where um, the funds are distributed among around 30 different validators. But they are running the same smart contracts. You are sort of basically trusting them as a group and they can make changes. Um, maybe maybe you're comfortable with them one day and then the next day you're not. If they're past like the 33% threshold, then some scary things have the potential to happen. So like, I think the first thing I would say about that is it's pretty scary. Um, this is where the quote unquote layer zero, like social layer, the community needs to mobilize and you know, support other options, get the word out of what the risks are, protocol, um, like like core devs in Ethereum might need to be thinking about what kinds of protocol upgrades can be made to help mitigate risks like this. And I think you're actually seeing a pretty good response, like a, a healthy response where this kind of risk has been acknowledged. It's still really, really early in staking for Ethereum, so like nobody knows how it's all going to play out. But this is definitely something to watch very, very closely. Like, obviously, with Bitcoin and Ethereum being the number one and two, where um, there's this sort of like ideological divide between not just um, the tokens themselves, because everybody wants to pump their own bags, right? Um, like, functionally, they are kind of different. They're different things. But there's also this. I think we're going to see the proof of stake versus proof of work debate get more and more and more heated, if for no other reason. And I say this as somebody who's more plugged into the Ethereum community, obviously. If for no other reason than, like, the one thing Bitcoin, the one finger Bitcoin can wag at um, Ethereum is, like, proof of work offers these security advantages, which are debatable, like the characteristics are clearly different. And, um, you know, people are going to be debating on both sides until the end of time. But in that context, like Bitcoin and Ethereum, they're going to lead like the crypt, all of crypto, I, I think, in terms of like what patterns and what technologies and what choices and what structures are, are created. And so there's going to be a lot of pressure and people are going to be watching closely. I think this is going to be one of the, I think you hit on one of the very key over the next one to two years, one of the very key um, axes around which like the whole space will pivot depending on how things play out. So I'll get off my staking soapbox there. No, no, no. Uh, I think I think it was interesting. Thank you for uh, divulging into there. Yeah, because I think that it's definitely a major problem. And um, <clears throat> speaking of all that as well, I think it was this week, or nope, last, was it the 19th? Last week. Um, I'm not sure. Did you hear about the SEC filing for Ethereum? Um, I've heard like just a little bit here and there, but I'm not super caught up. So do you want to recap? Yeah, so I guess that since um, as they're claiming there, um, there was a file or a suit filed 
against um, a crypto influencer in the United States. And what was found is that the majority of ETH nodes consist within the U.S. So the SEC, the SEC is stating that due to the conglomeration of nodes within the U.S., they have, um, what is it? They have jurisdiction over the entire network's transactions. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I do remember this. Um, I I don't know that I have very many thoughts. Just that it's it seems very ridiculous to me. Like, I'm not sure exactly what they are. Like, what exactly would them quote unquote having jurisdiction actually mean in practice? I mean, I'm sure it would give them some kind of legal footing in certain cases. I haven't really thought about the legal implications of that. I do think that, um, I can't remember the exact percentage. I think when I first read an article about this, it was like less than half. Yeah, here it is. 45.85% of all Ethereum validator nodes operate from within the US according to Etherscan. Uh, Second greatest density after that is Germany with 19%. So, like, okay, 46% uh, is a lot, but it's still not a majority. Um, and even if it was a majority, how could you claim to have jurisdiction over it? And what does that actually mean? Because there isn't like, it's not like Apple built Ethereum and has you know, headquarters in this country or that country um, and is subject to, like, paying taxes because of certain certain things. Like, the U.S. government can regulate and tax U.S. citizens who are using the Ethereum network. I guess I just don't really exactly understand what they think they can do here, <laughs> to put it, to put it directly. Um, and then this is also another thing that I am not well informed about, but that I'll talk about anyway, is um, I believe the CFTC and the SEC are in this like wrestling match over who gets to regulate um, Ethereum and other crypto tokens. And my impression when I looked into that a few weeks ago was that the SEC is basically arguing from a pretty weak position that you know, it should be up to them to decide whether, for example, Ether is a security or not, um, and that there's already, like, movement and, you know, precedent or whatever else that probably makes it not their call. So it, it seems like they are trying to shake things up in possibly multiple ways. I don't know. Um, hopefully... They can't troll us too much, though. What do you think about all this? Yeah, I think that it's definitely a stretch, <laughs> to be completely honest. Um, I am, I'm hoping that whatever comes of this, that it isn't grouped under um, a centralized body, I guess. I, I'm not as knowledgeable within all these, um, all these frameworks. I just think that it's, yeah, just very interesting that... Um, yeah, a governmental body is like literally just trying to lay claim 
<laughs> just to to a blockchain. It's it's a little bit uh, it's just a little bit crazy in my eyes, especially because it is all over. Um, people are working on it. It's almost like an international company, but doesn't have a a home nation. So well, I guess, uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of interesting because then that would mean that at the end of the day, Ethereum is yeah, it's part of the United States is United United States. Um, technology but it isn't so i don't i don't know I, i'm interested to see kind of what the rationale is and how judges think about this in terms of um legalities but would they even be able to enforce something in another country let's say like argentina um south america or even in europe um yeah it's, it's kind of interesting i mean yeah that gets into some really interesting questions um I keep going back. I know I mentioned the network state earlier. and um, I don't know if you remember this, but I keep going back to this idea from, I should, I should look up the author's name. Um, this idea from the network state about uh, Balaji uh, Srinivasan, this, this all comes from him, that in a world where network states as opposed to traditional nation states are formed in a decentralized fashion through smart contracts on a blockchain versus through like a military land grab you don't have a society like founded on the basis of and enforced via like violence or military power um you don't need to, right? Like you don't need you don't need police to stop me from stealing funds out of your wallet. Like the police are the network like itself, the blockchain network. Um and so when it comes to questions of jurisdiction where let's say the US government decides that it does want to intervene, well, it's armies and it's national guard and it's um like whatever resources it has can only do certain things and those things do not include for example confiscating assets on a on a computer somewhere owned by somebody anonymously like they just have no path to that maybe they could fund um intelligence that could like help them crack that whip and they could and they could uh, enforce really harsh penalties like if you are found to be sort of playing outside of their rules or outside of their system um, and you are a u.s citizen or it can be extradited or whatever like they have the tools they have but that doesn't change the fundamentals of the network that doesn't break decentralization um so it's going it's really interesting to see like uh, hopefully we don't have to find out too much about this like what are the limits if there is a power struggle between um you know a specific government or just government like nations in general um against network like crypto network yeah crypto networks crypto nations uh network states whatever you want to call them like i'm sure it could get really ugly it could also be 
um, it, it could also change the game potentially. And I think we already are already seeing that in places like Argentina, for example, where people basically have very few options for even just holding on to the wealth that they they gain. Um, within crypto, they're able to do things that they can't do in like meat space or in the traditional finance world. So that's kind of all over the place. Um, but you know, these questions are just going to continue to be relevant until we get clarity. Um, if we get clarity from regulators anytime soon, it seems to me like the mission that the SEC is on right now, especially reading a little bit further about this um, specific event, is that they really want Ether to be classified as a security and not a commodity. Um, and from what I've read, most people in the Ethereum community who obviously are biased, they think that that holds almost zero water and that there's plenty of um, not just logic, but also sort of precedent for crypto being classified as a commodity. So, um, yeah, I would love to hear an expert talk about this. I'll say that. Yeah, me too. I would definitely be on that 150%. Um, I think it was actually kind of interesting because Sky Mavis had just opened up their um, their own legal department. And the lawyer that they have retained, he did. He was with um, Robinhood uh, in their crypto sector. I met him actually in AxiCon. I was chatting with him at the um, the Mystic Axie part uh, party, and uh, I wish I could remember exactly all the details in particular. But he is actually building a solid argument on how to look at crypto and how to regulate crypto, which is going to be quite interesting to see. Um, he is going to publish it open source, so when I see that, I will uh, pass that around as quick as possible. But um, I think you also kind of make a good point. <laughs> I wanted to just chat about, yeah, about the network state just for a second. How cool would it be, though, if we had, say, like a million people who all shared the same ideals um, and connected those land, those land properties and actually unified a voice to as, um, oh, I forget his name now, but as put out in like leveraging um, political influence with the United Nations and declaring sovereignty because we know that sovereignty right now that's it's there's no um, there's no legal basis to claim sovereignty but in the event of enough voices wanting to create it like could we see something we know that countries would not allow that to happen and I think you're right it would get quite ugly but how cool would that be could you just imagine having your country spread out all across the world so you only need your passport. We could fly over to Europe, um, not have to worry about a thing. We can live there, almost like how the EU works. But instead of um, just landlocked there, it's actually like international. Oh, would you would you sign up for a passport for one of those? Yeah, I mean, I think that that thought experiment is just so interesting. Um, and you have like little nation states already, right? Like. Um, Licht or, um, yeah, Liechtenstein is just a few hundred thousand people. Um, Monaco, like there are all of these little tiny, like historically there are reasons for them being sort of these independent towns that just never 
um, got swallowed up by larger government or by larger countries. But um, like they do exist. And I think you can imagine, or I can imagine, a small country, whether it's a few hundred thousand people or even something larger, maybe like, I don't know, New Zealand. Imagine if um, a relatively small nation of uh, like a well-developed country where everybody, for the most part, um, had professional careers and like together they they had lots of bank accounts and enough money in their bank accounts. I can kind of imagine um, Liechtenstein or even New Zealand make like calling for a vote and passing a vote on, hey, let's digitize our entire economy. Let's put our money, let's put our currency on a blockchain. Let's decentralize it all. We're going to do all of our voting on a crypto blockchain. I can see that happening maybe, um, you know, within a few decades. And if you can go in that direction, if you can go from traditional real world nation state to some kind of digital version of that, I don't see why you can't go the other direction. And at the end of the day, money is like, it's like energy, right? It's, It's like money basically represents power. And if you get enough people with enough money, they have enough power that I think they could carve out some kind of sovereign status. Um, and all I think all they would need probably is like the right ally, the right powerful ally. Um, so if, I don't know what that would look like. I don't know what kind of deal Axie, the nation state, or sorry, Axie, the network state, would make with, say, Italy, the nation state. Um, but maybe, or maybe the Philippines and Axie could have some kind of symbiotic relationship. I don't know. Um, but it would be pretty cool. You can imagine actually being like a dual citizen. You have your IRL citizenship and your digital citizenships. Maybe you have many of them. You, maybe you do pay taxes to all of them and there are like deals that are made or, or rules that are made around that. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe when you have a kid, if you are a member of the Axie network state, um, your kid is automatically a citizen and they don't have to like buy axes. They're given axes or they're given some like some, some kind of benefits. I don't know. It's um, yeah. I hope we find out. Yeah, I do too. I'm, uh, I'm looking, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Uh, hopefully we get to see it before, uh, for um you know before uh global warming before everything and... falls apart yeah exactly i was actually kind of was talking to akhil um who is oh i can't remember he's also an engineer an it engineer really smart guy as well um and he, we were chatting about the network state and axicon and he brought up does it really matter though if we just don't survive to make that point um to that point but i think that it's kind of interesting because if we had enough bodies which is why i like i would like funnel back to the um the network state if we had enough people to finally just stand up and say enough is enough uh here's voting power there's say 500 million people that are just like you know it's time to start thinking about about the future like uh, separated and through and pushing um 
on that global or international stage. You know, I think it's really important to unite those minds because we're just still so fragmented. We're still landlocked and region locked, you know, um, to be able to break that and finally start amplifying voices on the so like around the soapbox is so bloody important. Um, <clears throat> I'll be yeah. honest, like the, the one thing that kind of scares me about it is this um, this question of like, would, would it just amplify echo chambers that are already causing problems for us? You can imagine if, for example, in the US, if everybody who was hard right could just pick up and say, we're all going to like uh, this like red like network state. We're never going to see you guys or talk to you ever again. We're going to do our own thing. And everybody on the hard left like went in the other direction. Um, would that be a good thing? Or would that just like create more overall drama in the grand scheme of things? Like, I don't know. Yeah, man. Extremism is like on the rise right now. It is freaking scary. Actually, we have a, quite a few movements up in Canada now that I've been following and it's getting nuts. I think that yeah, the more uh the more that we're interconnected through through the digital scheme, we'll be seeing those outliers, the fringe fringe groups uh growing in en masse say. I don't know. I, I think that, you know, <laughs> it'll be it'll be interesting to say. I don't think that um I think that it's good, but at the same time I think that we'll be seeing some sort of aggressive action placed against those extremes at that point i'm not allowing to segregate i'm just gonna like lean on john rawls for like a quick second when thinking about the international stage and just snuffing out anybody um or any nation or state country whatever that um is aggressive and just trying to yeah like level the field but at the same time it's very idealistic and utopic um to to think about but I don't know. I think that uh, yeah, we got so many. We have so many social problems to fix, and I think that that's a whole nother uh, dive in topic. But yeah, I won't go on. I just uh, I just had this thought: like, what if you had like the um, the incel subreddit, except they bought the right NFTs and had like billions of dollars and informed network state? Like, what would that mean for the world? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It, it would be quite interesting. And would they allow it? I don't think that any aggressive formation there would would be allowed to actually form. But can you actually prevent it? What can you do? Um, I don't know if you have you ever watched The Handmaid's Tale? Um, yeah, parts of it. Yeah, just thinking about how, again, an extreme group that takes over and actually outperforms it's neighbors because of it. It's, uh, it is, it's got a, it's kind of scary. Um, yeah, I'm actually kind of interested to see how researchers and politics and society actually starts to handle that. That's, uh, something that's been on my mind for a while. Is, is it an education problem? Is it a societal problem? Because society's defense mechanism is to push anyone who threatens the, uh, I guess the um, how do you put this? Who threatens the norm of a society is instantaneously placed into a fringe group, which then helps to accumulate the voice and power, especially when not heard. 
um, and easily dismissed. So there, there's there's so much to tackle on that. That it's yeah, it's kind of it's an interesting thought experiment to go through. Right. I mean, we can't even handle the basic mechanics of like a Ponzi. So how are we going to deal with the mechanics of political nuance and extremism and all this stuff? Um, yeah. We'll figure it out. Yeah, that's yeah. We got we got lots of time as long as we can survive to it. We'll we'll get it. Um, yeah, like even just thinking about how many I was actually just watching this one YouTube video. I'll be like super quick here so you can chat um, about when will the last human be oh, born? Oh, thank you. I <laughs> appreciate it. Yeah, I was chatting about it today with Noob and just thinking about how many humans can still be like born, like a future, right? That could ultimately lead to the answer to all these problems. And then thinking about where we are now um, with our population versus all the humans that have lived somewhere around like approximately 7% of all humans that have ever existed live today which is absolutely unfathomable when we start looking at the long distance picture. So I don't think that like in our time that we'll end up solving these problems, it'll definitely be way down the road. Um, yeah, if we ever make it there, but that's just kind of like my two bits. Hey, Nublet, how are you doing? How's it going, guys? I'm just playing a little Axie doll, listening. Um... I wanted to interject a couple times earlier, but I don't remember anymore. What I was going to say, other than the fact that I hope that poor old uh, Vitalik doesn't get, uh, get scripted. That's one, I'm like, huh. Like, that's technically... Oh, Vitalik getting right? conscripted to the Russian military? Yeah, like, in the thing that could happen? Oh, um, isn't he a Canadian citizen? Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah, he is. Oh, I I mean, I don't follow any of that. He just sounds like a Russian guy. He he is from Russia. He was born in Russia. Um, but I think his family moved to Canada when he was really young. Interesting. Well, there you go, mystery solved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would I was suck, wondering, because he... Can't... I'm a little Sorry. critical of the, the war coming out, and I was like, well, that's bold of him, but I guess not, because if he's in Canada. Then... Oh, yeah, he's been great. He's been great about using his platform um, to make his opinions known, which is really funny, because when it comes to crypto, he doesn't like to be super open about you know what are his favorite protocols or tokens or whatever, but when it comes to social issues, he's all over it. Oh, that's good. Yeah, speaking up about him is like super important to get those conversations going. I actually got to follow him more often. But yeah, no, I'm just listening to you guys here playing some Axie doll. <laughs> that's great. To get on that leaderboard. So I, I still mean, need to give Axie doll a try. But I'm saying good things. You what? You haven't played it yet? You're crazy. Yeah. I haven't nah, played anything. Fun. You probably lately. should. No, it's not good. It's addictive. <laughs> so, how are you guys doing in terms of um, the bear market and like whether it's a game or anything else? It's affecting everything here. Well, 
it seems like well thankfully i have a job that has a cost of living adjustment because it's keeping up so i'm basically just floating all the pandemic relief that was coming in has stopped so i can't be as speculative so i'm basically just uh sitting on everything just waiting i'm patient you know things go up they go down gotta wait five years ten years whatever (laughs) patience is the name of the game for sure as warren buffett said the market is a place for uh transferring things from what the impatient to the patient something like that mm-hmm. yeah transferring wealth from the impatient to the patient so that's what i'm banking on <laughs> and if not i'll be okay i didn't i didn't get too crazy so yeah and creator you're taking the build everything in the bear market approach obviously um which I think is really exciting. It's I think it's going to be so cool to see what happens when Axie comes back and you get like new waves of people because there's already so much there that just didn't exist um you know like at the at the top right before the top. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm I love building in the bear. It's actually a lot easier to build within the bear because everybody's expectations are already so low. So it's just it's a trial right. and you scrape in the bottom of the barrel. That's great. Yeah. Right. Um <laughs> yeah, I guess that is one uh one sec. There we go. Um but yeah, no, I think it's it's good to like financially, like financial wise, like I'm not down too bad. Um I got to play the the coin market for a little while and ended up making a pretty a pretty decent um payoff. So I've already covered where my losses are at this point. Um, so it's kind of nice. I broke even on that, but uh, yeah, it's going to be kind of interesting too, because we probably still got another two, maybe three years of, you know, they haven't declared it yet, but probably two to three years of like economic bad times, like reset, like recession wise. Um, so it'll be, I think it's going to be tough. It's going to be almost like a little bit of a reset to see kind of who sinks, swims, survives. Um, yeah, and also just kind of what will happen with everybody, because goddamn, like, could we just, like, we can't even really think about coin price if people start losing their houses in the next year and a half, you know? So it's kind of a... <sighs> That's the thing, man. That's what they're talking about, then. Everybody's, you know, it's... Everybody's talking about, well, we're probably all going into recession, but it could be... A, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy, but well, either, either way, way, there's probably going to be a recession. So <laughs> this is like the the most like crazy amount of nobody has any idea of what's going to happen, at least that I've ever seen. Um, and I, I try to remember like the point um, from the Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel about how people have this bias to like invest and save their money based on what they've experienced in their lifetimes but you really have to zoom out to like the past say 100 years or maybe even more to account for all of the different like things that could happen so i'm just i'm um a little bit of a pessimist now and then and so my my bear case 
right now is that we spend 10 years where stocks go nowhere and like we just go sideways. And if that happens, like who knows what happens to crypto? I mean, it could happen. It happened in the 40s. It happened in the 70s. Look at the indexes. Look at the charts. And um, like, is that going to happen again? I don't know how to read any of that. Yeah, I I just think it's good to, to like be aware of the possibility, even if it's small. And I don't know what the probability is, but I think it's no, non-zero. We'll be just fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe, and maybe things are moving so much faster now um, that ten years in nineteen seventy is like four years in two thousand twenties. We'll see. Yeah, that's sort of what I was thinking. Hey, everybody! By the way, yo, um, on. Hey, but uh, yeah, I think there's just so much that moves so quickly these days. You know, you're not waiting days or weeks for news to come out; it's instantaneous. Um, that I feel like the effect of things just uh, are felt much more uh, in real time. Um, but yeah, I so. I don't really, I don't really know what I'm talking about. Right when when speculating about the future, very much, I don't hear very many bull cases these days. I think it is going to be pretty ugly for the short to midterm. What does that mean? Does it mean months, like a year, two years, three years, whatever? You know, um, I just, uh, I don't see anything going up anytime soon. I guess is all I can really say about it. Yep, means people out on the streets. Yeah, but trade, I suppose trade Ethereum for for bread. <laughs> yeah, but this is a pretty good time to just steadily accumulate everything you know, and throw it into some uh, pools, some staking pools. Uh, Don, I've been looking at Rocket Pool for a while now, and I have yet to jump in. I was like waiting to really wanted to and then the merge was coming up and people were talking about you know the eth that you're going to get out of some of these pools is going to be like you know proof of work work eth that might not you know be uh valued after the merge and like all this stuff i was really uncertain but i don't really have any excuse not to at this point i'm just i still don't really know too much about it but love that you were talking about it earlier it is something that i think i will eventually get into at least yeah we should talk (laughs) i want financial advice even though i can't suggest it or advise it to anyone else but yeah um but yeah that was a pretty interesting numbers that you were giving too about um staking and how I, i didn't realize it was only a few percent of total ETH was staked. Uh, I really thought it was a pretty significant chunk, um, which is why I also had those concerns of like, I think, so I, I think I read something like a third of the staked ETH is held by three parties, something like that. It's like a couple centralized exchanges. It's a couple pools like Rocket Pool, Lido. Um, but I guess putting that into perspective, it's like, okay, they might have a huge percentage of the staked ETH, but that's still only a very small portion of total ETH. I don't know if that really matters. Does that sort of make sense, what I'm saying? 
Yeah, I think um, the the fear is that if one of them, for example, is dominant now, that they'll be able to maintain that dominance as more and more people deposit um, Ethereum to their pools to stake it. So, like if Lido, for example, is like the product everybody knows about and you see ads for it and they're incentivizing um, people to like buy their token when you buy it by staking Ether with them. The fear is that they'll just have too much momentum, too much clout, and they'll be everywhere and like that's just going to become the default or they'll be integrated with like MetaMask and um, different wallets and it'll just be trivial for people to stake with them so they'll just get more and more of an advantage and more entrenched. So that doesn't necessarily have to play out that way. Um, like Rocket Pool is just getting started with only a couple percent of the total ETH staking market right now. And if you ask me, like a lot of the upgrades that they're doing are going to enable them to scale rapidly where they've been bottlenecked for the past year or so since they launched. Um, one of the nice things though is if you are, well, there's two different ways to, um, you know, put money into staking pools. One is by buying liquid staking derivatives. So I'll give you guys like the 60 second version of this. You can either simply stake your Ether with a pool, which is you put ETH in, they give you an IOU, and that IOU entitles you to the majority of the staking rewards that the Ethereum ne network pays out. You can use that IOU to, as collateral to take loans out and do other things in DeFi. So it's kind of like this magic token in that sense. The other thing you can do is you can invest in, um, for example, RPL is Rocket Pool's um, collateral, like insurance slash governance token. And basically, the more people that stake with Rocket Pool um, overall, the more buying has to happen on the RPL token because it's necessary for people to spin up validators with Rocket Pool. And so there could be price appreciation, price appreciation there as a speculator. You can also run a node with Rocket Pool by depositing 16 ETH into a validator. And there are DIY ways of doing that. There are um, services like all nodes where you can have a hosting solution kind of out of the box. So like you can invest in the liquid staking derivative or the LSD token, or you can invest in like actually running validators um, or in speculating on the govern governance tokens or utility tokens of the different protocols. So yeah, it's, I think it's going to be a very, very rich, like we had DeFi summer a while back. Um, like we have all these different like trends, um, token farming and all this stuff. I think staking derivatives, like they're going to be a theme for probably the next year or so because like the vast amount of ether that's going to be staked hasn't been staked yet. And that's, I think that's going to be a tide that lifts all boats. And so in some way or another, it's probably going to pay off to like pay attention to that and to participate in it to some extent. So that's actually pretty interesting. I, I totally thought that it was, I'm going to throw some ETH into this pool, right? I don't have 32 myself, so I can't, 
you know, stake myself. So I'm going to throw it into this pool. And over time, you know, every once in a while, I'm, I'm going to get a little bit of ETH back. I didn't realize that there were two other ways to, like, you're getting a reward. You're, you're, I thought it was like 4% ETH return, right? Or APY, something like that. Um, but you're choosing between two different reward systems, sort of. Yeah, well, I mean, to be really, to be really clear, like if all you want to do is stake Ether, um, and you don't want to assume lots of smart contract risk, you don't want to speculate, you don't want to do DeFi things, then you're either probably, and you don't have... That sounds boring. <laughs> yeah, well, it's also lower risk. But if you don't have, say, 32 Ethereum to run a solo solo staking validator where you run like a a validator and put 32 ETH into it. That's like the, you know, native staking solution offered by the network. If you don't do that, your choices are basically give it to an exchange who will do that for you and then pay you, um, you know, some premium for that. Or you can buy these LSD IOU tokens from um, DeFi staking pools. And you can do that in basically arbitrarily small amounts all the way down to like 0.1 ETH or maybe even less. Um, and that's going to be, I just want the staking rewards for ETH. I don't want to do anything else. Um, and I don't want a, a project who, or a team who doesn't know what they're doing to be able to like blow up my my capital. But if you want to speculate on the DeFi products or their tokenomics, or for example, with Rocket Pool, if you want to be a validator, but you don't have 32 ETH, you have 16. Um, and in a few months, it'll go down to eight as the minimum. Then you can um, basically create a validator with Rocket Pool with a smaller amount of money. And the catch is that you also need to buy RPL insurance, but you get RPL rewards, and the API, the APY for that is currently like far and away higher than even what solo validators are getting. So, yeah, there's a lot out there right now. I think we're only going to see more and more competitors come to the scene because, like, it's such an untapped market. Okay, so I'm definitely so going to like... read a lot more. So it sounds like Big Yak Axi Club Validator. Is that what I'm hearing? Oh, it sounds <laughs> like we're going to have to. Damn straight. There are a lot of DAOs and funds basically either buying up LSD tokens or um, funding validators, like running nodes and funding you know, lots and lots of validators. So basically, we all, what you're saying is we should all send all of our ETH to you, and then you're going to be in charge of making us a whole lot of money through all of this. Got it. Got all it. of our ETH. Thanks, thanks very much. All <laughs> of our ETH. Perfect. Yeah. Not financial advice. So don't sue me, bro. Okay, 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 okay. How about um, you just drop that address now, just in case anybody else listening wants to drop you all of their ETH? 
<laughs> you can send me ETH at dondochaka.eth whenever you want. <laughs> um, hey, Don, ha- have, uh, do you know much about chess? Well, okay, sorry. So I ask because um, you just sound very uh, similar to someone that I um, watch uh, who plays. And I don't think I've ever, like, I don't think you're doxxed or anything. So I'm like, oh my gosh, what if you're this, like, person that I'm watching play chess? Like, I've never seen either of you. I've only heard you both, and you sound similar. Yeah, I'm a chess genius. <laughs> Are you? No. Yep, I oh, can confirm. Okay. No, okay. I, I, I know how to play, but I am awful at chess. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Gotcha. But it's cool that there's, like, a doppelganger out there that's actually smart. Yeah, uh, Chess Chess Network is the YouTube page. He's like a, I think he's like a twenty six hundred rated uh, grandmaster. Um, so he's pretty pretty you know really really great great analysis and everything. But this also brings me back to uh, this discussion. So creator, I think you were talking about board games and stuff. And I know that when you first mentioned that, you're like, hey, we're talking about board games. This is a while ago, I guess, but. I was like, oh my god, it's it's chess, right? We're gonna finally have chess on Ronin. Um but so I guess it's not, but there's something else in the works, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So it's uh it's gonna end up most likely being on like a D and D style board game. Uh, um yeah. okay. Yeah, which is gonna be actually kinda interesting. Um it'll have I think like the general idea of what's gonna end up happening is it's gonna have like portals to take you to this can take the axes to um, different places. So like different types of expansions and it's going to be, yeah, choose your own adventure type style, which is going to be quite neat. Nice. I do love those goosebump books. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's just kind Wayne of Wayne Axie Tactics. When is that coming out? You know, you guys ever play like Final Fantasy Tactics, Tactics Ogre, something like that? What do you mean? Yeah, like Fantasy a. Tactics. Is that real time strategy? Uh, no, it's more like a. No, like a tactic. Almost like a chess, but like with different rules. Little. I guess Axie rules, but. I think we'll see. I think we'll see like something for everybody in Axie eventually. That's what I'm excited about because I'm playing Do- Axie Doll right now. <laughs> that Mavis uh, Hub is going to be loaded with games someday. Man, I yeah, so. I see it like playing out like a Battle.net type thing where they have the whole roster of games there. You have the updated news and the little window on the side and all that. So, all that good stuff. Yeah, it's. Um, uh... Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, any final thoughts here before we wrap up, guys? Uh, no, I think we covered quite a bit. I've, I'm looking forward to the next episode, <laughs> to be honest with you. Oh, man. I wouldn't mind diving into that uh, nation-state um, going digital economy, a, l- a little bit more of that. Uh, if anyone from New Zealand is listening and wants to get their country involved, I would love to see this play out in the real world. But let's make it happen. If all we can do for now is thought experiments, I'm down to do more of that. Yeah. 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 Oh, sorry. Creator, have you read the book? That's on my list. 
I have gotten through, I think, roughly about 70 pages of it, so I haven't completely finished it yet. Um, it is very interesting, though. Absolutely very interesting. So I think by if you want uh, next episode, I'll just spend time uh, finishing it up. Um, I'll take some pointers down, send them over, and then we can kind of like discuss some of the concepts. We can do like a Good Let's Morning Elect Book Club. Yeah. 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 Right, let's make it happen. Let's do a Network State episode. Oh yeah, I'm stoked. Network State. All right, guys, <laughs> keep an eye out for that. Um, we'll, we'll make that our next our next move here. Thanks so much, guys, for joining us today, and thanks for everybody who's listening. Really appreciate it. And um, yeah, we'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks very much. Have a good night.